listening. I invite you to check out my website, karagoodwin.com. I'm adding more resources all the time to assist you in your meditation journey. Sign up right on the homepage to receive a free 10-minute guided meditation that will fill you with light and peace and give your nervous system a reset. You can also find powerful offerings to help you start or amplify your existing meditation practice, including the Meditation Immersion Program to get a solid foundation to your meditation and the Healing Hearth Ongoing Program for regular online meditations and guidance. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I am joined by Zofia Renea Morales. Zofia was living high life as an award-winning global strategist and biophysicist. She had everything she could dream of until it suddenly screeched to a halt and left her in pieces. She was brought to the edge of death by undiagnosed chronic Lyme disease and left bankrupt in every area of her life. She underwent a massive transformation, which unlocked her gifts as an intuitive healer and mystic, changing her life completely. So welcome, Zofia. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yes. So I gave a brief overview of your transformation story, but can you tell us more about what happened to get you to where you are now? Well, I when I was very young, we'll start back in the day, right? Growing up, I was very connected, very dialed in, and like I saw the hand of God in everything. And at some point in my teenage years, you know, you have these questions that you ask of yourself, and some of them are very soul-felt. And this was a soul-felt question. And that question was, why is it that there are people who can be atheists? I don't understand how they cannot see the hand of God in, like, everything happening around us. And when you ask a question like that, you get an answer. And my answer was in the experience of becoming a very rational-minded person. Two plus two equals four, scientific method, it has to be replicatable, and you better show me the proof because I'm from Missouri kind of situation, right? Oh, yeah, the show me state. The show me state, <laughs> absolutely. And I lived in that space for several decades to the point that it's like, I don't see the hand of God anywhere. But you did until then. I, I did. Like a flip, a, a switch flipped or something. Yeah. And when you ask those soul felt questions, when you want to sincerely understand the experience, you'll have the opportunity to sincerely understand the experience. <laughs> and embody it. Yeah. And so I got that wow. for several decades. And then it was time for me to wake up. And I have to say, my soul gave me several subtle nudges before it came with the two by four up the head. But I'm stubborn. I was raised by a German and a Norwegian. We are the home of stubborn and stoic. <laughs> and so I was like, blinders on. I'm in this experience, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so the two by four became necessary. Okay. So how did that present for you? How did the two by four come in? Well, I I will fast forward through a bunch of stuff, which included 
mystery aches and pains, starting to prematurely lose my uh, compos mentis, I think they call it. My, my marbles were going. I was oh, having wow. trouble finding words, remembering what had gone on earlier in the day. Even short-term stuff, you could tell me something, and then I would turn around and ask you the same question. Like I was, wow. you know, 90 years old with dementia. And here really? I am in my mid forties, you know, this is, there's something wrong here. And I've been to a lot of doctors looking for what was wrong and I wasn't finding it. And I was getting worse, uh, to the point that I couldn't hold down a job. In fact, I couldn't go in the kitchen and make a simple 30 minute meal in less than three hours. No kidding. Well, when you can't remember what you're doing, yeah, you have to kind of, okay, wait, I'm in the kitchen. Why am I here? Okay, there's food laid out. It looks like I'm making, you know, chicken and rice. Okay. What stage am I at in the chicken and rice? And so, yeah, when you're in that space, it's very hard to get something done. And uh, mystery why, and as all of this is going on, my husband's career is unraveling. Um, He's in pharmaceutical development and that industry has been through some major shifts and changes. And so his job, 10 years keep getting shorter and shorter and his unemployment keeps getting longer and longer. So all this is a recipe that eventually sends us down the rabbit hole of bankruptcy. And he's in the middle of, I need to, I need to get additional education to be able to take my career the direction I wanted to go. So he's looking at, do I get a, an MD? Do I get a Juris Doctor? Do I get an MBA? What do I do? And he's trying to figure all that out while the money is evaporating. And when you're in bankruptcy, they don't give you student loans. (laughs) Yeah, right. And so ultimately, we ended up in this situation where we found a way to send him back to school at the same time we're doing the bankruptcy. And he'd found a job on the other side of the country, and we ended up living in a former neighbor's condominium that was her mother's. Her mother had passed, and she was unable to sell it. So we ended up as caretakers for that condominium for her. And so I'm I'm Mm. literally living on the grace of everyone around me. Wow. And I went to the doctor and I'd found a functional medicine doctor. I'd been through a lot of conventional stuff and they tested me for all the things for lupus, for MS, for fibromyalgia. The list is like really long and no one could figure out what it was. I didn't fit in any of those buckets and I'm getting sicker and sicker and I can't sleep and my brain is deteriorating more and more. It's like I'm going to die if we don't figure this out. Wow. And so finally, I got a diagnosis with this doctor, and it was chronic Lyme. Lyme is a relative of syphilis. When it gets advanced, it will eat your brain. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And so that's what was going on was it had gotten to the point it was attacking my neurological systems. And it was a a scary moment, but also a moment where it's like, okay, at least I know what I'm dealing with and we can take steps to address it. Yeah. And so the doctor was like the foremost Lyme guy in that region of the country. And he pulled out this 
this treatment plan that had all these exotic rotating antibiotics and and uh, in, ve in venous um, treatments and clearings and all of this stuff. And I, I sat down on one of my better days with my calculator and <laughs> managed to figure out that this was probably going to run around $24,000. And so I called up the insurance company and I said, look, what portion of this will you be covering? I gave them the diagnosis and what he had planned. And their response was, we don't believe in chronic Lyme. Oh. Yeah. You don't, what? <laughs> There's lots of evidence for it, but you don't believe in it. Okay. Right. So we will give you 60 days of oral antibiotics, full stop. I'm like, well, the doctor visits will be covered, right? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, it's another one of these questions you should never ask. Can it get any worse? Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> How does this get any worse? This is terrible, right? I'm looking at $24,000 in the middle of a bankruptcy. And the lady on the phone says, oh, yes, your doctor's no longer in network. Oh, my God. It's amazing how fast the universe will answer these questions. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. And so I got off the phone with them, and I'm, like, going through all the possibilities. My husband's full-time in school, working full-time, taking care of me. He's got no spare cycles to even sleep, let alone take on additional money-making activities. I'm like, well, maybe I could find a job, but I can't cook dinner in 30 minutes. Yeah. It takes me three hours. I'm functionally unemployable right now. And so it's like, and you had been in a prestigious oh, job. Brain power galore yeah. and orchestrating really I complicated projects. And yeah, then I'm reduced to I can't make a 30 minute meal. That's incredible. And so I'm in this space of, you know, where, how do I get out of this? I I see my answer. It's right there. And and if my arm was this much longer, I could get it. And it would all, the world would start to come right again. And I, I couldn't see how it was going to happen. And I finally did something that I, I didn't want to do, which was I called my dad. And I said, look, you know we're in a bad place. We're working on, you know, getting our way out of it. And I have an answer to what's been going wrong with me physically. Um, and I've got a plan. I've got a doctor and a plan that's proven to work. But it's going to cost me $24,000 because the insurance company is not going to cover any of it. And the bank of dad was empty that day. Oh, gosh. And that night I went to bed with my husband. As mentioned previously, I'm not sleeping, so I'm just kind of laying next to him and trying to meditate and get what refreshment I can uh, from that process, which was, of course, less than optimal because when you can't focus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. know, the meditation isn't very smooth either. But it got to about 3 a.m., and my brain's like this trapped squirrel trying to look in all the places we've already been and thinking of, is there another angle and what else is out there? And I couldn't come up with anything, nothing. And I finally just collapsed in some way. There, there was like this ego collapse that happened. It's like, I don't have the answer. I don't have any way. I, it's 
totally beyond me. And I did something I hadn't done in decades. I said, God, I will do anything to get better. And this little voice in the back of my head said, really, anything? And I thought about that because it, anything is a very broad commitment. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm talking to God. God's not going to ask me to hurt anyone or cheat or steal or axe murder or anything like that. And that those would be the things that would be my, my edges. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, anything. And I got my first miracle because I fell asleep. Something I hadn't oh, wow. done in quite some time. And wow. I woke up in the morning with this clarity that I needed to go back to the doctor's office. They'd already started me on the first set of oral antibiotics. And the thing with Lyme is when you kill it, it's more toxic than when it's alive. It's like you take these little bags of, of poison and you open them up in your system. And so you get a lot worse before you begin to get better. And so my clarity was I had to go get a clearing IV because he had these clearing IVs that were like 250 bucks. <laughs> I have no idea where it's coming from, but it was clear to me I had to go get one. And so I went in for that and I'm sitting in the infusion room and the doctor walks through, which is really unusual. And I waved him over and said, hey, um, you know, insurance is not going to be in the picture. What can you do for a cash pay person? And he said, you know, if insurance is out of the picture, we have this naturopath herbalist who has an amazing track record with parasites. Insurance would never cover him, but his office visits are half of what mine are. And he's got great success with the protocol that he uses. Uh, Like, well, office visits at half the price. Let's check him out, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. And so I got an appointment with him and I was sitting in his waiting room. It's always this string of like, what do I want to say? We call them serendipities, but they're actually carefully orchestrated events. And as I'm sitting in his waiting room, there's this book on the end table that says emotion code on it. And I thought, well, dang, (laughs) I've never figured out what to do with my emotions. I was raised by a German and a Norwegian. And the whole thing (laughs) is stuff it down, pretend it didn't happen and press on regardless. Which is no way to deal with your emotional life. And, you know, I'd had years of talk therapy and, but there are still these places you can tell when you get triggered that there, no healing has happened there. So I picked up that book. I'm like, if this person has the code to dealing with emotions, I want to know. And so I started the book and then the owner of the book came back for it. So I'm like, oh, now I have to go buy the book. So I, I bought the book as I'm going through this process with the naturopath herbalist. And one of the things that's in the book is about clearing your heart wall. Because we use trapped emotions in our body to try to protect ourselves in different ways. And one of those ways is building a wall around your heart. And I knew for a fact I had one of those because 
as I was going through life and like boyfriends and this kind of stuff, it was clear that there were people I let in behind that wall close to me and there were people that I did not. So I knew for a fact I had one and I started to systematically take it apart following the instructions in the book. (laughs) And as I'm taking my heart wall down, I start having these experiences that ought not to be possible. I start knowing things about the past and the future. I start knowing things, backstories of people in the grocery store, for example. You know, every now and again, you'll see somebody and you go, why the heck are they doing that? Well, I would think that thought and then I would be shown why the heck they were doing that, the events that led up to them making that choice. Really? Wow. And it's like, ooh, this is freaky deaky. And the scientist in me is busily writing things off. You know, you've got this really vibrant imagination. You're making all of this up because you enjoy a good story. You know, I'm writing all of this stuff off. I I had speaking in tongues. I saw angels and that kind of thing I put down to, well, you know, your brain is being eaten up. (laughs) It's going to do weird (laughs) things, right? And so I'm continuing to discount all of these psychic experiences. And I came home from the grocery store one afternoon and my 84-year-old neighbor is struggling under the weight of her 87-year-old husband trying to get him into the house. So we leave the ice cream melting in the car and, you know, rush over and get him in the house. And she says, I have to go make an emergency appointment with the kidney doctor. And so she rushes off to do that. And I'm left with him in the living room. And I'm like, well, how can I make you comfortable? He's like, there are no comfortable positions. And so I'm in the living room holding his hands and he closes his eyes and I see his lips moving. And I know them to be very devout people. And I realize that I'm basically voyeuristically watching this man have a conversation with God. (laughs) And it feels really uncomfortable to me in that moment because I just had my first one in several decades a couple of weeks back. And so I close my eyes. And when I close my eyes, I see this little flame in the middle of my mind's eye. And it looks like a pilot light that's sort of dancing on the edge before it goes. And I'm given this understanding that that's where he's at right now. He's hanging on to life with his fingernails. And I haven't acknowledged who I'm talking to or any of that, but I I said inside of myself, is there something we can do about that? And it flares up into this great big flame. And at the same moment, he drops my hands and looks at me and says, are you a healer? And I'm looking around to see who he's talking to because this is not anywhere on my radar. <laughs> so I go, what? And I don't know what to tell him. And his wife comes back in at that moment and says, we've got an appointment. We've got to go right now. So we hustle them all back out into the car and I go and hide in my house for two days. <laughs> As oh, wow. my scientist tries to write this off and discount it in as many ways as I can possibly discount it. And after two days, I'd managed to guilt myself into going next door and bringing them, you know, a pot of soup and doing the neighborly thing and checking on him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I go next door. She opens the door. (gasps) Oh, Jay has so many questions for you. Come on in. I'm like, 
oh my, I have no answers. <laughs> and I stepped through the door and there he is kicked back in his Barca lounger. He's got a drink at his elbow and his book and his remote looking fat and happy. Wow. I'm like, all right, well, how you doing? He says, pretty good. You know, it was the most amazing thing. Yeah. I got to the doctor. They put me through all the usual battery of tests. And my kidney function came back normal. I haven't had normal kidney function in a couple of decades now. Like, Wow. Well, that's fabulous. And we chatted for a while. And I went back home. And the scientist in me had to sit down and shut up. Because this was clearly part of the anything I had agreed to, all of this psychic knowings and the empathy and the channeling of healing. It's like, yeah, you said anything? Guess what, sweetheart? We're bringing the anything. Wow. So that's how I became the sensible mystic. (laughs) (laughs) And so are you focused on healing with your clients or does it... Because I think it it goes um, healing in in a broader sense. It is in correct? a much broader sense. If you look at the roots of the word healing, it's about wholeness. And right. so my clients tend to be people who have lost their wholeness in some way, whether it's that their heart was devastated in a really bad relationship whether they were attacked and traumatized in some fashion, whether they physically have something going on illness-wise, or they just feel like there's something that keeps yanking them back from their mission. And it's about bringing all of that wholeness back into place. Right. So how can people lead from their soul. You know, you you are doing that, but it it was a, a you know really winding road or or like a, a roundabout is kind of like <laughs> circuitous. That's kind of yes. a really typical soul path is this circuitous thing. You know, we have in yes. our mind, right? Our logical mind says we start here and we're gonna take the most direct route to be which linear is our path. goal. It's going to be linear. It's going to be straight and broad and clearly marked. And it's right. the farthest thing from the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. It's all right. kinds of weird left turns and roundabouts. But don't tell yourself if you've been on one of these winding roads that you're off track or that you've wasted time. Because the truth of the matter is everything you have experienced, everything you've done, everything you've learned will all come to play ultimately in your final mission. Now, some of it might seem like it's mashed potatoes and ice cream (laughs) mixed together, but we're each uniquely gifted with the skills, the talents, and the experiences. Most importantly, the experiences that we need to be able to relate to the people who we're here to serve and to serve them at our highest capability. So it's no mistake that I spent a great deal of time as a pre-med. It's no mistake that I spent time as a scientist. It's no mistake that I spent years in data center management. It's no mistake that I went into financial management. And it's no mistake that I became introduced to this broader world of shamanistic 
hands-on channeling of healing kind of world. Because yeah, it's all to it. come together. Right. And I I love what you're saying. I mean, I've been there too. You know, I had a fast-paced career, young kids. I was on a bunch of committees and had a lot of responsibilities. And I've, I've definitely had periods in my life where I felt that spirituality would have to wait. You know, I was interested in it and I was interested <laughs> in like any material on it, but it was kind of like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I had a very logical, you know, left-brained approach to life, very attuned to my senses, like the physical senses. Mm-hmm. And that's what I trusted. And what's so funny is that what you're saying about how it serves you ultimately. I mean, I, I run across people like you who are like me so often who have that kind of science, you know, who who really appreciate that scientific approach and that groundedness and who bring that groundedness, but also have a connection to the other side and experiences with the other side and this, you know, bring this mystical and it, it offers a different kind of validation for people who have not started yet to experience those kinds of things. It is so serving to have that kind of background because just like you're saying so beautifully, the people that you attract on your path, you know, and the people that you serve. Absolutely. Yeah, I call it walking with a foot in both worlds. Yes. And so you're kind Absolutely. of straddling. And the truth of the matter is, as much as on a spiritual journey, we kind of look at the ego of our personality as the enemy. Um, it's not the enemy, it's a tool, right? And it's a matter of learning to use that tool properly and when it's required, not when it's not required. And it's not required more often than it's required. (laughs) But that's not what we're raised to understand. We're raised to understand that you need, you know, to have that healthy, strong, aggressive ego out there or the world will take advantage of you. And the world will serve that to you if you want to go through the world that way. But it is possible to take off your armor and not send out that warrior vibe and still be protected. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I know as well that you talk about how spirituality offers really practical tools to solve problems. And so let's talk about that because spirituality and practicality don't always go together (laughs) really, you know, easily. Um, Because so often we do segment our lives, you know, it's like, this is what, you know, if we take an example of like a traditional church, you know, it's like, I go to church on Sundays from, you know, 10 to 11. And that's my like God time. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the time I live my regular life. And then I wait until it comes back around again. Exactly. And And a lot of times we check our spirituality at the door when we walk out. Right. You know, which is is horrifying to me, but there it is. (laughs) Yeah. But it can be the same even like with a daily meditation practice where it's like, okay, that's the, that's when we get attuned and then we get up off the cushion and it's like, okay, now I'm going to go, you know, and, and, you know, let my emotions get the better of me or whatever, you know, as we are on our, our own learning journey and things like that. But, um, that, it can feel like it's two different facets of our lives, yes. you know, that don't necessarily go together all the, all that easily. Well, and it can be very challenging because we're taught, we are raised and cultured and taught 
that this rational mind, this Western approach to life, is the way to be, and anything that's outside of that is wrong or bad or crazy or whatever label you want to put on it. And the truth of the matter is we are multifaceted beings. We have a physical aspect. We have a mental aspect. We have an emotional aspect. And we have this spiritual connection to all things aspect. And in the West, we're taught to very closely compartmentalize that or completely give, give away that last part. And as we are a creature of many levels, as I just mentioned, problems can have their root cause in any one of these four levels. And so if you've been having a problem of the body, okay, and you've been to every conventional doctor out there, you've tried everything, I would invite you to consider that your problem with your physical body may not be arising from your physical level. It might be arising from an emotional experience. It might be arising from some mental programming that's not serving you. It might be arising from an experience you contracted to have on the spiritual level. Okay. And when you work with somebody who's only focused on one of these levels, you know, a guy with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, even mm -hmm. though it's a screw. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you're running into these moments where it's like, okay, I've been to all the psychologists and I still have this thing happening. Well, it's maybe not on that mental level. It's maybe not even on the emotional level. This might be something that's physically happening. This might be something that's spiritually happening. And mm -hmm. you need to expand who you're looking at to be able to identify that root cause and fix it. Right. Yeah. So how, how do you help your clients find that gold within their lives despite pain that they've experienced. Ah. You touched on it a little bit, but like, are there, are there kind of methods or tools that you like to use to help? There are a lot of things that we use around finding that gold. Uh, but one of the most valuable ones is that alternative perspective, right? Because we get into this story that we've created for ourselves around what's happening. And I know a lot of people will hear that and go, oh no, what happened to me is this fact and this fact and this fact. And yes, you do have a set of facts that are in fact there and irrefutable, but there is also a story woven into those facts. That we give meaning to each of these facts. We take them from neutral pieces of information and we weave a story around them. And so what we do is we take a look at what that story is that you're telling yourself. And then we also look at what has happened, what has opened up for you as a result of that series of facts. Okay, because I will use my own story as an example. I had a series of things that happened to me. I caught Lyme disease when I was very young. I was undiagnosed for years. I chose to spend an excessive amount of time with the standard medical community. Um, I married a man whose career had ups and downs in it. Okay, I've, all of these are facts okay, that ended up with me in a bankruptcy. And you can look at that and go, oh my God, what a terrible life you've had because you've had all of these trying things happen. 
Or you can look at it and say, okay, what opened up for me as a result of going down this journey? As a result of going through this journey, I have an amazingly strong tried and tested marriage with my partner. And I have this confidence with him that I'm not going to get kicked to the curb. Whatever it is that happens, we can face it. Because by God, we have been through the fire. Okay, Mm -hmm. I have this amazing, I'm in this amazing space now where I walk in both worlds. And that would not have happened if I hadn't had the spiritual two by four up the head. (laughs) (laughs) I do things now for a living that I love. Whereas before I was watching my watch. Are we there yet? Is it retirement age yet? Can I retire early? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there are a lot of amazing things that came from going through all of that drama and trauma. And so we sit together and we unpack it all. And having that third party perspective is super helpful. The other thing that we do is we look at your soul contract. Okay. Because we decided what it was we were coming here to do. We decided what we wanted our personalities to be. We decided about the people we wanted around us to give us those experiences, to give us the opportunity to build our strength and to grow and all of that. Um, And it helps sometimes to understand what your lesson plan was. And so do you have access to that, like through the Akash, or it's something that based on the the information they give you, you kind of can cobble it together? Okay. Um, the Akashic records are not this thing that sit off there, you know, far right. distant that only a few people can get into. We all access the Akashic records on a daily basis at a super conscious level, whether we realize it or not. And your lesson plan is the vibration of that is encoded in your birth name. It's no accident that your parents named you Kara. You sent that desire to them, which is why when parents are looking at baby names, you know, there are millions of suggestions from friends and family and all these people around, but the parents only ever seriously consider one or two. And the reason they only seriously consider one or two is because that vibration holds the lifelands that you came here to experience. And so every time you introduce yourself to someone, you're basically saying, here's my karmic plan. Serve me the experience that I'm here to have. Hmm. I'm a people watcher. And so if you've ever spent time at the DMV, and many of us have done a great deal of time at the DMV, (laughs) whether we like it or not, I'm a people watcher, so I will watch people. And if you watch the interactions with like a particular clerk, you will notice that the clerk will serve a different experience to each of the people that come to the window. Mm-hmm. And so with one, they may be very helpful. They might, you know, cut them a break or, or you know, move them through a loophole or something. And then like the next one, they're like rigid you have to have mm-hmm. this, you'd better go get this. And you are, you know, out the door with nothing for your three hours of waiting. <laughs> yeah. And that has to do with the clerk's super self accessing those Akashic records and going, what experience am I supposed to serve this person today? Hmm. It's not done on a conscious level 98% of the time. So that being said, though, um, 
it's happening on a super conscious level. And of course, a lot of people are not able to access consciously their super conscious yes. um, information. But are you, is that, and for people who can access the super conscious. There is a super, super simple way to actually get to what your birth name is. <laughs> to get to what your birth name yes, is? Yes, to get to the lessons that are encoded in there. It's, okay. it's called uh, soul contract readings. And mm-hmm. it's a a process that was channeled through by Frank Elper in, I believe, the 60s, something like that. Uh, and basically, you take the vibration of your name in English, it gets converted into numbers 1 through 22, because that's the number of sounds that are available in the Hebraic alba- uh, alphabet. And then those numbers get laid out on a Star of David. And you total them up, you reduce them down the way numerologists do. If it's a two-digit number, it becomes one, that sort of thing. And you get these ranges of experiences that speak to what it is you're here to experience. Oh, wow. So it's it's very practical. It's very practical. I mean, it's very learnable. You don't have to feel like you're gifted in any way to learn how to do this. But I suspect you will discover you're gifted as you go through the process (laughs) because it does have a tendency to open you up to higher levels of information. Wow. I love finding these little gems of like new... I mean, I love that the the interplay between frequency and numbers and sound and and like something so personal as a name... Um, it's fascinating because I, I have, I mean, this is brand new to me. I've never heard of this, but I know that I have had opportunities to change my name. Um, I mean, I did take my husband's name, like my last name is I was married into, but my first name, I've had different, you know, opportunities or, or points in my path where it's like, you know, people are changing their names um, in different organizations, and it never really spoke to me. Um, I never, I never felt that urge to change mine. And then over time, I've come to understand my name in particular holds, um, you know, sounds. I mean, Ka and Ra mm-hmm. are are the first two sounds of creation. I mean, I didn't know that until rather recently from the spectrum of this life. So. Um, so it, that when I found that out, like as I kind of processed that, I was like, that's really interesting that I never felt that desire to release myself of my birth name. You know? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and some of us uh, never liked our names. I hated my name from the first moment. I didn't like it yeah. one bit. I didn't like um, the genericness of Johnson, okay, which was oh. my, my last name growing up uh-huh. uh, because I grew up in Minnesota. If you open the phone book, it's like ABC J, (laughs) (laughs) because they're all Johnson, right? Yes. And so I didn't like the anonymity of that. I hated my middle name and my first name was kind of like, okay. And so when I learned about the soul contract work and reading the contracts, I also learned about um, renaming yourself to empower yourself differently. And so this is one thing that I do offer for clients. It's something that I also offer for people who have businesses. If you have a business that's not going and you've done all the things, 
it might be worth looking at the energies in that name and see if that's part of what's holding you back. And so it is your birth name, Zofia Renea? No, Zofia Renea Morales is what was given to me in meditation. And initially I, I went in and I went, well, what are the energies of that? And I spelled it very traditionally, like with an S and a PH. And it's like, that is not, that doesn't match the vibration of what I was given. And I, I sat with it for two years before the, it occurred through someone else. This wasn't even an occurrence that happened through me, that uh-huh. it could start with a Z. Oh, oh, well, you know, and then all the pieces fell into place. It's like that, that's it. That's the name I was given. That's so interesting because I assumed, because you've been talking about your, the birth name. So I assumed it was your birth name, but I was like, I'm surprised you don't like that name. Cause it's yeah, like, no, I love, really I love such my a name. spiritual name. <laughs> that's okay. what I consider it is my spiritual name as opposed to my mundane name. Uh, but then the the modality that you're talking about with the Star of David, that uses the birth name. Well, you start with the birth name. You can use that same modality to analyze any of the other names that you have taken on or been given, right? Because a lot of people will give nicknames. And frequently, nicknames mm-hmm. are a way to try to empower, disempower you. Really? Um, depending on on who's giving it and the energy it comes in, but frequently it's a a disempowerment. If you think about nicknames, a lot of them are always diminutions. The name gets smaller. It gets an an I or an E or something on the end that makes it a little lighter and sometimes Mm -hmm. pushes it over into frivolous, right? Oh, this is so interesting too. I mean, so Kara is my birth name, but I, for the first 12 years of my life, I was called Carrie, mm. K-A-R-I. Yes. I mean, from, from birth. So like my birth certificate name was Kara and then, but my but no one name ever called you that. No one ever called me that. And then when I was in seventh grade, I felt like I wanted to step into this grown up name of Kara. For me, it was like this formal coming of age. Yeah. Yes. But I never considered, cause that was the name I got when I was in trouble. Oh yes. All of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah. Full name and my real legal name, you know, it was like, if I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do, that was the name I got. So I had this negative connotation with it for a long time. And it was like this random conversation with my aunt where she was talking about how much she loved the name Kara. And I never considered it in that way. And then I kind of heard it with these new ears of like, somebody loves that name. And I was like, actually, it's a really pretty name. And, and then also it was like a more, like I said, you know, you're 12, you're like in entering that coming of age. Yeah, and the, it was the kind of like- determination phase. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it was a lot of work to switch it over because I had all the, you know, you got to fight age, everybody. Fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was picked on and teased like, oh, what's your name today? Oh, you know, God. and all this kind of thing. <laughs> and I just carried on with it. But um, but it's really funny how like you're saying that and I'm, I'm like remembering this because it's not something I've thought about in a long time. But 
Yeah, yeah. it was about it's, you reclaiming so the power of that name. Yes. How fascinating. And now like I really don't feel connected to that name at, at all even though there are still family members who who still call me that, yeah. you know, cuz it's just yeah. what what my name has always been to them. But um hmm gosh, you've given me so much insight. This is just fascinating. Yay. Um so I know that you you have a, a an appointment coming up here. Tell us how people can connect with you and find out more. Ooh, I, I love the find out more part of that info, oh, invitation. Yeah. You, you've opened yeah. a Pandora's box here, I'm sure, for a yes. lot of people. Um, there are a couple of ways you can find out more. The first one, let me look so I spell everything right. Uh, the first way is you can learn more about your own giftedness by going to superpowerquiz.us. I created a little quiz that will show you one aspect of the major gifts that you brought with you. And so- it, Is that based on name? It is not based on name, actually. Oh, we, you have so we many We came tools at it from tool. a different direction on that one. Okay, um, all right. And so superpowerquiz.us, it takes about 60 seconds, so there's no excuse for not like going and doing that right now. And okay. when you ask for your results, it'll put you on my email list, which will, you know, get you in the know on everything that goes on. So that's mm -hmm. one door you can go through. And it's, it's a fun one, I have to say. Uh -huh. um, the other door you can come through if you're like, you know what, I don't want to waste any time. I want to sit down and talk to her about this thing that's happening right now. Uh, you can book a free coffee chat. I do a 20 minute consult where we look at what's going on and I can suggest different aspects of ways that we can move whatever it is through with you. A lot of my clients have these things that happen every time I always get the bad boy or whatever it is. <laughs> I always come out <laughs> on the wrong end of the medical odds. <laughs> yeah. you know, and some of that kind of stuff can't wait. So you can go to bookzofiacoffeechat.com. So Zofia, Z-O-F-I-A, book sophiacoffeechat.com and it'll get you on my calendar for one of those little conversations and then we'll just see where it goes from there. Oh, beautiful. Well, I'll have those links in the show notes too. And you mentioned you have a podcast too, I right? I do. It is called Sovereign Self and you can find that at sovereignself.live. There is a new episode that goes live on Mondays at four o'clock. Uh, and right now we're, we're in a little bit of a hiatus, but that'll pick back up in a couple of weeks here in April. And okay. yeah, it's, it's wonderful. We have all kinds of folks who come in and talk about their journeys because a lot of times when we're waking up, especially early in our journey, we feel like we're the only one who's going through this. <laughs> yes, and while right. all of our journeys are unique, they do rhyme. And so sometimes yeah. it's helpful to hear what someone else has gone through because it will give you new perspectives and other ways of, of working through whatever you're running up against. So that's why we do it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really a joy to connect with you today. And, um, and thank you for the work that you're doing in general, yes. too. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for holding the space and creating the platform that you're creating as well for people to be heard and to get their message out as well. It's super important. Oh, thank you so much. 
please share this episode. I appreciate your support, rating, reviewing, and sharing. So thank you again for listening, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation. Meditation.